You're listening to Diffuse Tap with Kenny Estes and Isla Krem. This week, we have Ken and Bella from Founders First Capital. They have an absolutely fascinating approach of making non-dilutive revenue-based investments in businesses led by underrepresented founders. Hope you enjoy learning about it as much as we did. All right, everybody. Welcome back from the breakout room. Nice to see everybody. Um, just so you know, if you haven't been here before, what to expect. You're already from the breakout room. And we're going to do a quick chat about Diffuse Tap and Diffuse. And then we're going to have our fireside chat with our, our expert speakers, Cam and Bella. And then we're going to do two more rounds of breakout rooms like you just had there. And the reason we do that is that's what Diffuse Tap's all about. It's about three quarters networking quarter insights from an expert speaking about something that we think our community of alternative managers will enjoy. And then also we have started doing in-person events. So the next one is in New York on August 10th. So if you are in New York and want to do this in person over a drink, definitely um, reach out. We can we can help set that up. What is Diffuse? We're an alternative fund incubator. We try to find interesting, compelling um, investment strategies across really all alternatives. Um, one of those we've, we're working with right now is called Aaron Capital, it's a litigation finance fund that's working towards its first close, providing capital to um, uh, uh, government entities. So cities, counties, states, things like that. And then also we recently launched Diffuse Digital 30, which is the first digital asset index fund. It's a proprietary fund. Think of it as S&P 500 for, for crypto. So you don't have to go try to pick the winners, just uh, get a diversified basket and hold it for the long haul. So with that said, and I am terrible with introductions. So uh, we're gonna be joined today by Kim and Bella. Uh, Kim, do you wanna do yeah, unmute and do a brief introduction uh, to, to start things off? Certainly. Um, good morning, everyone. Well, it's morning here. I'm in San Diego, California, and uh, delighted to be here with my colleague, um, Bella Gagnus, who's our investment director, and giving you an overview of um, Founders First, as well as um, uh, revenue-based financing as an alternative. Um, so I am uh, Kim Folsom. I am the founder, chairperson, and CEO of Founders First Capital Partners, as well as the founder of Founders First CDC, and we are an accelerator. Um, we focus on funding and growing businesses led by diverse founders. And we, uh, with diverse founders, we have a very inclusive definition of that. And so that includes women, people of color, military veterans, LGBTQ, and those in low and moderate income areas. I, founders First is my seventh venture. So as I was uh, sharing with the breakout session from earlier, uh, I started my first company in the crazy.com era. Um, but I started my career as a software engineer and then eventually, uh, you know, got onto uh, the business, business development side, but found that the best opportunity for me to solve big problems was becoming a founder of my own company. So prior to Founders First, I um, founded six tech companies. Um, four of those six were venture backed. Uh, and I raised most of the money that I raised was um, traditional uh, institutional VC. Uh, and the guys that I went to school with, the ones that did the, the best that, you know, uh, did well enough to retire early were ones that did not rely just on equity capital. They generally had more debt than equity. And so when I, uh, my investors had encouraged me to go to the other side of the table, I looked at other uh, models for funding and growing companies. 
as well as where were there gaps in the market and recognize, you know, two. One is a diverse founder. You know, everybody has heard the story. Less than 2% of capital goes to people of color and women-led uh, businesses. And on the other side, that there's a lot of... Um, a lot more wealth uh, created uh, an asset accumulation when structured finance is used as one of the capital stacks, not just traditional equity, and really like revenue-based financing because um, the interests align with the investor. You know, basically, as a company is successful, so is a successful outcome for the investor and the company. You know, there is a, you don't have to have a liquidation event for there to be a return led to the investor. And um, I got a chance to connect with some of the best ones like uh, Lighter Capital. And that's how I got uh, connected with many of the folks that I've had a chance uh, to be blessed with working. And I'll pause there because um, I'm delighted to have uh, Miss Bella join me for this discussion. Bella, feel free to hop in with your, with your interview like. Yeah, tough act to follow. Really just excited to be here and, and meet all you guys. Um, this is my, my second company working um, in the revenue-based financing space. So previously was at Lighter Capital, um, like Kim mentioned, and, and came over to you know, help, help carry out the mission that, that Kim's put in place. And so we're really um, you know, looking to grow and empower underserved small businesses and um, create more, more wealth and job opportunities for those demographics. Beautiful. We'd love to dig a bit into the details here. Um, I know that uh, Kim mentioned how the, how the your, your system program came about, um, her background running ventures, etc. But really interesting for us to understand how did you decide to run a hybrid model where you a both provide capital and then b do programming at the same time. We'd love to learn a bit more about how you how you structure that and how you thought about that programming plus funding um, component. Sure. Um, well, you know, you look at any. Uh, you know, a successful outcomes. It's not just the money. It's what you do when you do it. And, uh, and the network of people that you put together as one of my investors shared with me, you know, success has many fathers, but you know, failures generally are orphans. And so really being able to help the companies get an understanding about a big, you know, uh, economically feasible, you know, strategy and resources to help them do that and advocacy and community and throwing capital in there, you know, it's just it's better chances for them to achieve success. And so that's really core to our model. Um, we have an accelerator on one side with pre-funding education. It's not for everybody, but, you know, the majority of companies that we work with do take advantage of this. And um, we have a flexible, low dilutive capital base. And then for the companies we fund on the other side, um, provide them with advisory support to help them with execution. Beautiful. Bella, anything to add to that? No, that was beautifully said. All right. Well, maybe Bella, for you, you can talk a little bit about how do you, how do you source companies? Um, I think uh, Kim alluded to the accelerator there, but kind of what, what are the main, main sources of opportunities for you? Yeah, a lot of it is kind of boots on the ground, making connections, making, um, you know, networking opportunities like this and just kind of getting the word out there, getting the brand out there. Um, it's really about, I think, the education piece is huge. So a lot of companies, especially in the market that we're trying to serve, there's just a, a lack of education around other other options. You know, people know banks, they know VCs, um, but having that 
that kind of, um, again, boots on the ground mentality of just being a sounding board, being a resource for these companies um, is, is our biggest piece, but it's kind of a mix of, um, you know, inbound and outbound and, and yeah. And I would add to that, I was mentioning to the folks, it was Bonnie Halper and uh, Tim Garavet uh, that I was in the, in the breakout room with, you know, we are a national platform um, today we're in four regions. Um, so we're based in San Diego. Um, we have a presence in Chicago, uh, Texas, and just launched into the New Jersey, Pennsylvania area. Um, one of the ways we show up into regions is we launch a um, job creators grant to you know, identify and recognize those um, businesses that have uh, aspirations to grow and create jobs, uh, create and retain jobs. Um, many of the companies that we work with are service-based businesses or tech-enabled service-based businesses. So they may not be the next Facebook uh, company, but you know the, the our model platform provides a great way for them to get growth capital without um, having to you know give up a substantial amount of their equity. And so if you go to foundersfirstcdc.org. Uh, you'll see um, a bit about our various grant programs and uh, we'd welcome uh, you guys to share that with other people. Beautiful. Um, And that kind of takes us to one of the points, just looking at specifically the way you source companies, but also how you evaluate them. Just thinking about regular uh, revenue-based financing, it's highly data-driven based on whatever financials that they might have in place, um, past revenue, et cetera. What have you learned about these minority-led or uh, diverse founders in the way that they manage their own data and the data that you can get from them to actually conduct your own underwriting process. What's different about these these companies and these founders than with a standard RBI candidate? So I'll make a comment about, you know, the opportunity of um, diverse founders to create value, but I'd like to defer to Bella as our uh, investment director who has done a fantastic job of, you know, helping us refine our model to help these companies get access to growth capital. Um, But, um, you know, access is important. And, you know, with the right appropriate capital, there is an opportunity for them to create value. We had uh, recently one of the last companies we funded, you know, the company came to us mostly a service-based business, but they were able to add a recurring and a a software platform to have a a SaaS component to their business that they would not otherwise be able to get um, that funding because as everybody knows, you know, most VCs, you know, service-based businesses are not a top priority, but, you know, with this type of capital, they're able to create substantial value and their, you know, valuations go from being at EBITDA based to, um, you know, top line revenue. And so with Founders First, we can uh, fund up to a million dollars, which is, you know, a substantial amount of capital to help, you know, businesses with making that transition. And as to how we look at them from a credit, you know, evaluation and underwriting, I'll uh, defer to um, Bella on that. 
Yeah, I mean, speaking specifically to the difference between companies that say I evaluated in a, a previous role versus here, a lot of the founders that we see are, are very much first-time founders. They, um, you know, are first-generation entrepreneurs. They just don't know their options. They don't know what's out there. There's a little bit more handholding that goes into it. There's a little bit more trying to make sense of financial statements that they've maybe put together in Excel, and that's not doesn't make them any any less of a, a valid candidate for funding. It just, you know, may take a little bit longer, may take a little bit more um, creativity and kind of reading between the lines. But um, at the end of the day, the biggest theme is that they are so excited and, and happy to be talking to us. And a lot of people relate to the mission um, that Kim has set out to to achieve. And so it's, it's super fun because we really get to be these long-term growth partners with our clients and we get to, um, you know, have multiple calls a day with, with people trying to make sense of how they're looking at certain numbers or how to grow a new line item and revenue model in their business to make them more attractive to not only us, but, but future investment partners and, and all that stuff. So uh, we see a lot more openness and a lot of, of willingness to, to work and to get kind of you know, get their hands dirty. Whereas, you know, a lot of other companies that I've worked with are, you know, kind of been there, done that. They, they think they know everything already. They think that, you know, we're just kind of another cog in the machine for them to get to the end goal where I think this market that we're trying to serve um, really, really wants to be partners with us. And we want to see them grow just as much as they want to you know, have this proof of our mission um, fulfilled. That's great. And uh, it's, it's always nice to be able to position to uh, have a direct impact on people, right? And I can actually see your efforts pay off. Um, Kim, there's a question from the audience here, going back to your um, intro, uh, equity, RBI debt strategy. If you're a startup going out there, what do you recommend to people if they're doing like a blended strategy? Is it an equity to start and then go to RBI and then debt? Like, what does that look like in an ideal world? Um, you know, I'm going to use the example of one of my friends, um, this guy that I went to undergrad with and his company. He, 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 you know, while it may sound like, oh, gosh, it's genius what you're doing. You know, he took most of his um, funding was debt. He took a small amount of equity that and, you know, his first, you know, uh, a small amount. He, you know, he was in a position where he had friends and family money. Most diverse founders don't have friends and family money. Most businesses that are started by diverse founders are using either a 401k or savings. Um, so, you know, when they start with a small amount of money, they start with how do I get to a certain level of profitability in mine? So it's, you know, the mindset is, you know, a bit different than, you know, I'm just going to build something and burn a lot of cash, you know, and just constantly do these, you know, ongoing series of raises. So that mindset's a bit different, but small, starting with a small amount of capital to get to a specific operating cash flow um, model. And then from there, you know, it can be, you know, debt if you have the, um, you know, traditional debt, if you happen to have the, you know, the profile to, to meet that. Most entrepreneurs don't have a whole lot of um, personal assets that are required that you need to, to, to pledge traditional debt. So alternatively, if you can demonstrate you have sufficient cash flows and margin, you know, revenue-based financing is a attractive option because, you um, you know, you're not having to give up a lot of equity and so forth. And then when you get to the point, I mean, my view is, you know, if you can wait to do any significant equity financings, you know, beyond a small either friends and family or small angel amount of money before you do a Series A, 
and you can wait to the point where you are, um, you know, in the, you know, high seven figures, you're going to be in a much better position to, um, you know, raise equity capital, uh, you know, because you're going to give up a lot less equity, uh, you know, to, before you do your first um, series A, you know, one of the things that you probably read about us, you know, at Founders, we just closed our Series A financing. Um, this was my fourth Series A. And, you know, I purposely waited like, you know, some, you know, almost five years to get to this point because I wanted us to have a certain level of traction before, you know, taking on equity financing. So, you know, I practice what I preach, you know, from what I've done with my other, you know, uh, six companies of taking equity too early um, because, you know, stuff always happens and you're going to need, you know, capital to fuel what you're going to do. And if you can, uh, you know, until you really get, you know, significant a level of scale, be able to manage that capital stack, it's, it's important. Looking at the managing capital stack and then thinking of the fund itself, that you guys raise, you know that you started off with the, raising a POC fund and then raised the $100 million debt fund that you have. What was your experience raising that capital? Who, who was interested in this model? Because it's so unique and different, not something that they might have seen before. Um, how, what, who is your ideal LP? How did you kind of get them across the line? How did you communicate this, this process? Yeah, I mean, so it varies. Um, you know, um, raising funds is work. And especially because we are a, you know, structured finance company as being, you know, focused on revenue-based financing um, so, you know, our proof of concept fund was to demonstrate that you can provide, you know, returns that are, you know, equity-like, um, funding this diverse market. Um, and, you know, people are like, you know, I, I, I haven't seen anybody do that before. So that was the whole concept around the proof of concept fund um, was to show that you can, you know, invest in this, in this you know, specific uh, demographic and have these returns the investors that participate in that were largely some of my prior investors from my prior companies. Um, as I shared, you know, this is not my first, you know, um, you know, raise of capital. So a lot of my early angel investors were some of my early investors on our proof of concept fund. And we were able to demonstrate enough traction that, you know, and, and uh, you know, a return, you know, because the way our, our model works is, um, we, you know, raise a, you know, a, a amount of funds to invest in our companies and the majority of those companies come through our, our accelerator and uh, we return, um, you know, provide distributions back to our investors on a quarterly basis. So I had, you know, a couple of years worth of, you know, proof of not only, you know, providing a certain level of return, but providing a certain level of distributions back. And that was sufficient enough uh, of a, you know, evidence that allowed us to attract the uh, $100 million facility through CIM. But our, our goal is to, you know, as our, our portfolio grows to attract, you know, more um, uh, catalytic capital. Uh, and we have, you know, we're actually in the midst of working on our third um, uh, uh, a pool of capital. Uh, so, so, you know, the, 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 you know, the process, you know, continues. Well, that's great. Well, we are about a half hour, so we'll uh, keep doing questions after the first breakout room, but we do need to get into them. Um, so quick, a couple of housekeeping items. Uh, it's networking, not pitching, please uh, be kind. I don't know why we need to say that. 
And then we don't do a participant list. So if you meet somebody that you want to keep connected with after the event, swap details then and there. But then we also do have a Telegram group you can join, introduce yourself, and, and ask for really anything. Ailey, do you want to talk about breakout rooms? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll pop into rooms of four or five. Definitely stick around for this is when you actually meet the people with boots on the ground. Um, I'm excited to pop put in this room in just a moment. Uh, we will leave you in there for about 10 minutes or so. And uh, the first topic to chat about is um, what are the kinds of businesses, minority that, that you've seen that will really have benefited from this type of funding model? Pop into rooms now and uh, feel free to totally go off topic if that's what you'd like to do. See you later. Well, I'm glad. I uh, hope everybody had a good conversation. Um, one more question. And Bella, maybe we'll put the spotlight back on you for a second. This question is from Guillermo, I believe. <clears throat> Technology, how big of a deal it is in what you guys do. I know Lighter Capital at one point was even thinking about spinning out a technology company with just that core. So how much of that do you have in-house now? What does that stack look like and how does it play into the underwriting? Yeah, so um, not very much presently is the short answer. We do a lot of manual um, underwriting, a lot of manual analysis. We are you know, working on getting things like Plaid and Kodat installed just as far as better plugins for reading and understanding financials. Um, but as of right now, a lot of it is in Excel. A lot of it is you know, me and our lead underwriter getting on a call and building models and um, really getting our hands dirty, which makes my job super fun. And I'm always learning and trying new things. But, um, you know, we, we use Salesforce for client tracking. We have a lot of, you know, email plugins and that kind of stuff for, for calls and, and note taking. But, um, you know, as of right now, a lot of the underwriting and a lot of the analysis is, you know, done by kind of conversations and Excel. <laughs> Gotcha. Makes sense. And one last question for you, Kim. I think you might have touched on some of these, but David Teton asks, um, if you're a CEO, CFO, looking at your own company, like what, what are some of the key metrics or, or milestones maybe that you would have them look at to see if RBI would be appropriate versus equity or debt? Um, well, you know, the first thing is so you got to look at the, you know, where, where you're going to take your company and what type of company that you have. If you're revenue generating and you have, you know, cash flows and your profitability, um, you're probably better suited for, for uh, a revenue-based financing than you would be for those that would be looked at for um, traditional, you know, uh, equity, VC equity financing. You know, as I shared uh, at the inter introduction, you know, the, a lot of the businesses we work with are service-based businesses um, or tech-enabled service-based businesses. And that means that they are not the profile of businesses that are traditionally funded by, you know, traditional VCs. Now, there are people who go through and try to squit a, fit a square peg into a round hole uh, to force to see if they could get people to um, provide them with capital and um you know, they spend a lot of time, you know, trying to raise a capital that's not a fit. If you are, you know, a service-based or tech-enabled service-based business and have contracted, you know, more predictability to your revenues and your um, gross margins are, you know, north of 30%, 30, 40%, then revenue-based financing may be a good alternative. Um, if you're looking at wanting to get equity financing, you need to have, you know, north of 70, 80% gross margins and the ability for reaching a billion dollar valuation. And it's not just because you put it on a spreadsheet that that makes it so. You've got to be able to show some traction to back that up. 
Great answer. Belle, do you have anything you wanted to add to that before we pop into the breakout room? Nope, I was good. All right, sounds good. So off we go. Uh, well, Isla, I don't even know how I'm talking. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I'll pop you into another room. Um, we'd love to hear your experience raising, if you've had a chance to raise capital for something that's a little more impact oriented. What was that experience like? Do you have, have you had it in your background, et cetera? Um, you know, a, a moment to share some war stories and, and, and scars from fundraising for more impact related um, funds or projects. Opening rooms now, and we'll see you back here shortly. Hello, everybody. Again, hope you had a good conversations. Um, we're going to do a quick wrap up and end at the top of the hour. Um, slight change in format. We don't do one last question, but the speakers do have the Telegram. Oh. So feel free to pop in there and ask some more questions as we go here. So let me pull up my, there we go. Um, so up next, again, Telegram, join us, continue the conversation there. Um, Diffuse launch StableFi. You probably haven't seen this before because it launched uh, last week. It is a decentralized finance fund that we just kicked off with internal capital and are going external. Um, it's stable coins, a low, low, low principal volatility, i.e. market neutral, but stupid high yields out there right now. Um, so it's kind of, we're trying to position it as more of a, not savings account, but kind of conceptually more like a fixed income product. So if you're interested in that or learning more about that, um, reach out directly or we do have an August 5th launch event where we have the same format we have here today, but it's all about the fund. So we, Isla and I, get asked the questions instead of the other way around. Um, and then next week, oh, there you go. GP and LP coaching for better ROI is our speaker du jour. So do not forget to connect Wednesday, 10 a.m., every Wednesday, 10 a.m. Isla, anything that I missed to touch on there? I think that's it. Um, we hope to see you again all next week. And we, we love the diversity of this audience today. So that was lovely. Thanks, everyone, for showing up. We see a bunch of new faces. And I uh, hope you stay part of the community. Yeah. See you all next week. And Kim and Bella, thank you so much for speaking today. That was great. So much for having your us. Time. Thanks so much. Safety and diversity. Thanks for having us. You've been listening to Diffuse Tab with Isla Krem and Kenny Estes. If you enjoyed these conversations, join us for the live version every Wednesday-ish at 10 a.m. Central. In addition to the fireside chat, the live event features three rounds of networking in small groups with alternative fund GPs, LPs, and supporters from around the world. Log on to www.diffusefunds.com to register yourself now.